pray together. Father, we, we are so grateful, Lord, for bringing us here today. God, we believe that you are truly great. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of being exalted. Jesus, we believe that you came and you bled and you died for us. Father, we believe that your son, three days later, rose from the dead and has defeated hell, defeated sin, has defeated death. We believe that you, Jesus, are alive today, seated at the Father's right hand. And so today, living Savior, Holy Spirit of God, would you speak to us through your word? Would you teach us your ways and help us to conform our ways to your ways? Reveal yourself to us. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be here this morning, and uh, I know you've already been welcomed. Welcome to the North Canton Chapel. Um, Today is uh, Memorial Day weekend, and so um, I I would not want to go any further without recognizing that. Um, I know for me personally, I've had many people in my own family that have served our nation, um, served in great, in, in the My grandfather served in World War II, and many of my uncles, and then others in my family that have served, and um, we we often take for granted the great freedoms we possess in our nation. I have had the opportunity to travel to many places in the world where there is not freedom such as this to worship, and that freedom wasn't something that was easily won for us. And so those that have served in our military, um, would you stand this morning? We want to recognize you and thank you for your service. So go ahead and stand. Thank you. And hopefully if you have an opportunity to see one of those guys, uh, uh, shake their hand again and thank them for what they've done or others this weekend. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but we had a baby. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're excited. Uh, last week we were, we were at the hospital. Um, so the story goes like this, a real quick version of it. My wife went into labor on Saturday. Um, we were, yeah, this is like the fourth kid, whatever. She's having contractions, no big deal. And uh, anyway, we got to the hospital, got in the delivery room at 11, four, or at 1.45 on Saturday, and she was born at 1.56. And so uh, this dad was, there's a lot of adrenaline happening. So uh, we're just lucky that she, that this daddy, I am a doctor, just so you know, <clears throat> but not that kind of doctor. So I almost delivered her on I-77. So... Um, but everyone's healthy and well, and her name is Rylan, named after me, Rylan Aaron Johnston, so we're so glad she's here, and uh, it is such a blessing to have um, my children, and it's a blessing to have four girls. Um, uh, this, this daddy, daddy is never in charge, but he is loved, so, uh, so enough about me. So um, this morning, if you'll turn to Mark 11. Um, That's where we'll be reading from. If you don't have a Bible, there's one seat ahead of you. It'll also be on the screens as we read it. 
We're definitely in Mark now. Uh, I forgot one thing before we go to Mark. Um, one, um, grateful, last week Matt Brumfield, Brumfield preached, and he's our student pastor. And I don't know if you know this, but we have an incredible team of pastors here that are so faithful to God's word and their call. It's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> so Mark 11, um, this is a transition in the book of Mark. Mark is now, um, many people have said that, that really everything up to this point is introductory to what Mark really was writing about. Um, <clears throat> Mark um, transitions now to this will be the last week of Jesus' life. This is Holy Week. So um, the rest of the time in Mark, we're kind of dealing in Holy Week. There's going to be some, a few snapshots backwards, but for the most part, we're going to be dealing completely with Holy Week. And so Jesus died on Friday. Today in the text, what we're going to be reading is Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and so how it's going to work is this, is Jesus is going to um, go into Jerusalem, and as he's going into Jerusalem, this is, we see this in Luke, not in this text today, but Luke, he's going to look at Jerusalem, and he is going to weep. And in Jesus weeping, he knows that there is an imminent destruction coming to Jerusalem because of their faithlessness, again. This is a common story of Jerusalem, this common faithlessness. Now, this time when Jerusalem is taken, it's probably the worst. They call it the abomination of desolation. And at this point, they, the historians say that it, was, it, it goes like this, that there were so many cru- people crucified that you couldn't see the hillside, that men were crucified on top of men. When women and children would leave the city, they would cut their hands off and send them back in. And Jesus looked at the city, and he kind of a double prophecy. He saw what was about to come, and he wept because he knew of the great horror that was coming their way. But he also knew that judgment, as we say even today, is at hand, because the day of judgment is coming for all of us when we will see him face to face and we will answer for our lives. So Jesus weeps for the city, and I think duly weeps because of what was coming and what is imminently coming for all of us. So in this text, he's going <clears> to <throat> see that. He's going to then walk into Jerusalem. And as he walks into Jerusalem, um, this is what we refer to as Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry. They're going to come. They're going to cheer. They're going to shout Hosanna. Jesus is going to walk in the city. He's going to go to the temple. And in the temple, he's going <clears> to <throat> um, uh, he's, he's then leave. And the next morning, they're going to wake up. And he's going to walk in. He's going to see a fig tree. He thinks that he's hungry for some breakfast. There's no figs on the tree. He curses the tree, and then he's going to go to the temple. He's going to flip over a bunch of tables, and then he's going to go back, and he's going to go to sleep. He's going to come back in, and the tree's going to be dead, and that's where we're at today. So it's Sunday. He's going to walk into the city, triumphant entry. Monday, he's going to <clears throat> turn over tables. Tuesday morning, he's going to walk back in, and the tree's going to be dead. So that's where we're at today in context of Holy Week. So let's read together the text. The text is better at telling it than I am. <clears throat> 11 verse 1 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage, to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to a doorside. Uh, tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. 
And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, palm branches, other things that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Just notice that for a minute. He looked around and he left. And the next day he's going to come back. And so the scene has been set. Jesus has seen all of the kind of goings on in the temple. And he sleeps on it. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, verse 12, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if it would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, <clears throat> for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. So this is, this is Monday. They came to Jerusalem, and he entered to the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all, na- all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, they went out of the city. Tuesday. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses." So in this passage, what we're going to see is kind of three sections. We'll see the triumphal entry, we'll kind of skip over the cursing of the tree, the the turning of the tables, and last we're going to look at the fig tree text. So the first thing that we see in verses 1 through 11 is that Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the true king. Now, as we walk through these passages, what we're going to see is kind kind of dual Jesus. We're going to see Jesus as a lamb, we're going to see Jesus as a lion. Jesus is equally both. Jesus is meek and mild, yet he is strong and he is able. Jesus is the one who comes in gently, but he is also the one who brings judgment. Jesus is a lamb and a lion. We're going to see this kind of throughout the text. So Jesus is the true king. So the triumphal entry, Jesus... Um, walks into Jerusalem, and as he's walking in, Jesus commands him to go and to get a colt, and then he rides the colt in on a saddle of coats, cloaks. So why? Why a colt? Why in this manner? Why do this in this way? And why is this such a specific thing? Well, this is why. Because over 500 years before, Zechariah had prophesied that the Messiah would come riding on the foal of a donkey. 
Rejoice greatly. This is Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Not only that, in Genesis 49.10-11, through 11, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. The obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. See, there's these images, there's these prophecies that were far before this, and Jesus was fulfilling the Father's will. He was fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah who would come. And so as Jesus is fulfilling this, at this point of time, he has many people following him. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd made the blind see, and he'd been doing kind of all of these miraculous things. And people were like, hey, I think there's something up with this dude named Jesus. I'm not sure what's going on with him, but we want to be around him because there's something imminently happening with him. And so people began to come around. I don't think they said dude back then, but they began to come around Jesus And they began to walk alongside. But notice, this wasn't necessarily like they were believing in him. This was a time where they were greatly oppressed. Greatly oppressed. Meaning that if you think taxes are bad, I mean, they were probably taxed 85 to 90% of their earnings were given back to Caesar. And there was this great oppression, great oppression on the people. And a great fear on the people. And they thought, maybe Jesus right now is going to restore an earthly kingdom. And they began to follow him. They began to walk alongside him. And so then on the path, they lay down branches and they shout um, before and after. They shout, Hosanna, which means save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Bless us, save us. He's quoting Psalm 118, 25, 26. This, this Jesus, the Savior, he's going to come, and they're, they're shouting, Hosanna, come, Hosanna in the highest, save us now. And he looked around the temple, and then he rested for the night. See, Jesus is the true king. He is the true prophet. He is the true priest. Jesus is the fulfillment of what had been promised. end of last November, right after Thanksgiving, I went to Cuba, and I spent a week in Cuba. Now, if you remember that time frame is when Fidel Castro had had died, and they had an eight days of mourning, and so I flew in, like on day two of mourning for Fidel, and as I came in, um, the country was very quiet. Um, It was very somber. Um, People weren't allowed to do many of the things that they normally do due to kind of an edict of everyone must mourn the death of our great leader um, by the government. <clears throat> and so as they took me around to different cities, the city that, that we spent most time in was a city called Santa Clara. And Santa Clara um, was a place where there was many monuments to Fidel, many monuments to the regime, and there were these places they would take us. And so we went all the way to the far side of this huge courtyard in the middle of town, and they looked up and they said, that's where he gave this great speech in 1960. This courtyard was filled with people, and they were cheering that he had come, that, 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 that he had achieved. Finally, we were going to be free, and he was going to lead us as a country into good things. 
They took us to another courtyard where in the 60s, again, where they had built this huge monuments, huge statues to leaders and Fidel. And, and there, and it was just daunting to even think about how many people filled that area and chanted and cheered for him. You see, in all in time in history, there's these great leaders that we gather around and we chant and we cheer and we say, yes, finally, he's been elected. Finally, there's a ruler that has come that is going to save us and is going to make all things right. And that's where these people found themselves at that time, that there's someone who has come that's going to set all things right. I just, I want to be clear this morning on this. There's only one true king. And there's only one that can set things right. And there's only one that can save us and truly save us from the tyranny in this world. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the true king. He has reigned forever and he will reign forever. See, unlike Fidel, see, Fidel is still in the tomb. Jesus is not. All kinds of world rulers for all time that have, of this earth, they have lived and they have died. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again and he is seated on high because Jesus was not just another man. Jesus was God and he was perfect. He was without sin, he was without blemish, and he is the true king. In Philippians it says that every knee will bow to Jesus Christ because he is the true and only king. See, one of the things that we kind of do with this kind of message of the gospel. Now, I I talk about this. I've led different groups of people kind of throughout my life, and there's this thing that I've learned that really annoys me. I don't know if you have things that annoy you. Do anybody have any things that annoy you? Yeah, okay. So I have this thing that really annoys me. So this is what it is. And so when I'm talking to somebody like, hey, let's do this. What do you think about this? And I'm like, yeah, we should do that. And I said, hey, and make sure you do this. And then they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, I call it my yeah, yeah principle, right? This yeah, yeah means, yeah, yeah, I heard what you say, and I have no intention of doing what you said. So I have children. I get yeah, yeah all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah dad, right? Like, <clears throat> I think we do this with, with the gospel. I, I think we do this with the gospel, and the religious and the irreligious do it. And, and how it works is like this. <clears throat> That gospel message I just proclaimed, Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. He saves. We go, yeah, 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 I know that. But this, but that. Yeah, yeah, I know that, but what about my marriage? Yeah, 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 I know that, but what about my kids? Yeah, yeah, I know that, but what about? And we yeah, yeah, the gospel away from our current context and our current need. And I'm just telling you, you can't yeah-yeah it away because if you yeah-yeah, you don't know it. You, you can't cast Jesus to the side. Oh, yeah, 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 he died for me, but there's no but. It's, it's oh my goodness, he did this for me. And so responsively marriage, and I want to honor him in my marriage. This isn't about me getting what I want from my wife. This is about giving my wife and loving her as Jesus loved me by dying for me on the cross. There's no yeah yaying it away. But as a religious, we do it all the time. We yeah yeah the core of our faith to the side. We want to focus on more important things, like what I need right now, or my favorite thing I like to study in scriptures, or the favorite thing I like to debate with other religious people. And we yeah yeah the gospel away, and it becomes not the central thing of our life, but the side note 
of our faith. Yeah, yeah, like he died for me and saved me and I'll go to heaven, but today I'm gonna live like this. The irreligious do it like this. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I do this all the time. I mean, I, I, I do funerals, not just for people at the North Camp Chapel. I do funerals all the, frequently in my life. And I can tell when I'm in a room and I proclaim the message of Jesus and every eye is rolled at me. Yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah, G- Jesus really the son of God, whatever. Submit, whatever, dude. And you know what? I'm good with it. And I don't care if people roll their eyes at me. I'm, I'm okay. I sleep fine at night, just so you know. But this kind of, yeah, yeah, pushing Jesus as the true king to the side for the religious and the irreligious, it doesn't matter how you do it. If you push him to the side, it sh- should be a fearful thing for you. Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is the prophet of prophets. He's the priest of priests. He's the king of kings. He's come and he's real and he's not dead. This is not an old ancient thing. This is a present day thing that Jesus is alive and well and he is the true king. And so right now in this room, you can choose, I can choose. I'm either gonna bow my knee to him. Say, I'm yours, you're the king. My life is not mine My kingdom is no longer my kingdom. My kingdom is your kingdom. Come reign and rule in my life. Or you can stand and you say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But I'm not bowing. I'm going to live in rebellion. I'm not doing what you say. I'm not doing what you ask. But I want to be saved. Or you can roll your eyes at him. But I'm telling you this. If you don't bow your knees down to Jesus in this life, you will after. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the true king. And you can willfully surrender or you can have your knees broken and surrender, but he will do it either way because he is the true king. He outlasts every king that will ever last in this world. The current president, the last president, every other president that's ever been in the United States is far, far in, in no comparison. No leader of the ruler that has ever been is in comparison to the true king, Jesus, and that's who we serve. Jesus said it himself, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must never forget the gospel. We must never yeah, yeah, the gospel. We often, we, we, we must not act in our religiousness. Or we, we must bow our knee down to Jesus. So second thing we see, so first, Jesus is the true king, the triumphal entry. He is the true king, the one, the prophesied one that has come to save us. Second, we see that Jesus requires authentic worship so in verse 15 through 19, we see this, the, we, we see this happen. This is the, the turning of the tables in the temple. And so there's this kind of bleep on that Monday morning where Jesus is hungry. He looks at a tree. We'll get to that in a second. He curses it. And then they enter, enter back into Jerusalem, and they enter the temple. Now, Jesus had been in the temple on, on the night before. He comes back in the temple, and Jesus starts clearing house. Jesus, the hidden Messiah, has gone public. Everything up to this point was like, he healed someone, he said, shh, don't tell anybody. And then he'd heal someone else and go, shh, keep it on the down low. Because there was an appointed time. And at this point on, Jesus is going to turn some tables and Jesus goes public. And when Jesus goes public, he sealed rejection by the religious leaders because he got after them. 
And now I was going to bring a table up here, put a bunch of stuff on it, and just like throw it, right? I mean, this is, I mean, just get a little context here. This isn't some light thing. I mean, Jesus is turning tables, telling people, don't come through here this way. And so what was happening in the temple is they just made it this common place. Now, just so we're clear, if, if in, this building right here is not a temple, just so you know. There's only one temple. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to restore it. That we, the church, right, are the living, like the, the presence of God, if you, if you believe in Jesus, and dwells inside of you. And so you, are, you, are, you have the holy of holies in you. I mean, this is a fantastic, unbelievable thing to think about. And so, so in this, don't, don't equate like what happens in here to the temple. I call that temple theology. And the temple is the Old Testament and it will, it will come again. But right now, today, we are the living and dwelling presence of God. And so what's happening in the temple, this is a place where, right, King Uzziah died and Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. And God saved him and healed him and sent him. I mean, this is the place where over and over in time, the temple right there, and what was happening is the place where the Gentiles could come in and pray. It was a pass-through. It was a common place. People just kind of walked casually through it. What had happened to the places where people could go and offer sacrifices because they loved God and they wanted to show in contrition of their hearts their love for God, they began to be exploited by money changers, by people manipulating them. And what was happening is that basically that, that personal gain and exploitation was the way of the people in the temple. So while Jesus is turning these tables and while he's kind of, kind of here's the lion, he's overturning tables, setting things right, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers, which is a quote of Isaiah 56, 7. I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer. So in this, Jesus is he's quoting, he's calling them out, and then he says, you have made it a den of robbers. Again, personal gain, exploitation was the way. And the house of God is now, again, us. And as we, we, we authentically worship him without seeking personal gain, but revering him, what that looks like is us getting on mission with him. Worship looks like obedience, and obedience looks like a mission of prayer that all people might know and worship him. See, God's whole, whole deal of worship here, authentic worship, is this, this call to something bigger than you and me. It's not something that we just do in this room, but it's something that we do in the everyday in all of our life. And what Jesus is calling the church to, what he's calling these two in this text, he's calling them to authentic worship and he's calling them out saying, you aren't authentically worshiping, but you're full of corruption, you're disingenuous, your devotion is heartless, you're phony, you have a facade, you're a sham. What he's doing is he's revealing their hearts. And in this, this this authentic worship that he's calling them to, he calls them out. They're not, see, I think oftentimes our, our true selves are often hidden under lies we actually begin to believe. See, I think for many of the men in that temple, many of the people in the temple, they thought they were doing the right thing. They had 
probably kind of went down that slippery slope where they changed a little bit and a little bit and a little bit to where they didn't even realize how much it was for themselves. Maybe they didn't even realize how much corruption had entered their heart and disingenuous worship was now the prevalent way in which they lived life and even profited off of. See, I think there's two extremes that we do this from um, in our lives. Um, we, we do it in this way first, is um, maybe in, in one extreme of, of dis, disingenuine worship is we say, I'm, I'm good. And when we say I'm good, it's, it's more like, I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't really need, I don't really, I, I need God, but, but I don't need God. I'm, I'm good where I am. So I don't need to press in anymore. I don't need to worship anymore. I'm just, I'm good. I'm good where I am. I have a house, a family, a life. I'm good. And we kind of live in this place of just, I'm good. I'm, life is, is good. Or we maybe move to the other extreme of it in our lives and we say, I'm bad. This is like the Eeyore, right, person. It's like, oh, my life's terrible. God's good. Shout Hosanna. He rose from the grave. How great is our God. My life sucks. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just a dirty sinner. I'm a worm. What can I expect? I can't ever do anything right. We kind of like Eeyore our way through life. So it's like I'm good where I just kind of coast and I just let the rhythms of my life take over and I just live in them. Or that I'm bad. I just, I just kind of Eeyore my way through life of... Nothing ever good happens to me, and I live there. And I, I think we have to break out of this kind of I'm good, I'm bad world and come to a place of recognition. And I think this is the key to where like, genuine worship is. It's this place of recognizing that I am his and he is mine. That truly and genuinely in my heart, I know that I am a child of God. I am his and he is mine. And because of that, even in the bad, it's pretty great. Because I've received something I don't deserve. Because see, there's this, there's this God, this name, guy named Jesus who came, knocked on the door of my heart. I opened the door and let him in, and he came in, and he sat down, this is Revelation 3. He sat down and ate with me and I with him, and there's this reciprocating relationship that I have that I am his and he is mine, and this is this incredible thing that, that I can authentically worship him because it's not about good or bad, but it's about a God who made me his when I don't deserve to be his, and not only did he make me his, but I am, but, but I am his and he is mine. Like There's this reciprocated relationship that is wonderful and it's awesome that I have with him. See, Jesus is calling us to authentic worship, not just some sort of kind of coasting drudgery of life. He's calling us to something vibrant and real and alive. And what we see in the temple was this kind of drudgery of selfishness, of, of, of personal gain and exploitation of others. And what he's calling us to, to is something real, it's something vibrant, it's something that has life. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, following Jesus is not drudgery. It is wonderful. Losing yourself and finding him is not something terrible. It is something great. 
finding your life in him, finding your purpose in him, notice this, and finding your, your mission in him is something that is wonderful because what he says in the text is my house is a prayer for all nations. We're gonna talk about that more in a minute. But see, the heart of God is that every man, woman, and child would have an encounter with him. He says it in Peter. He says, I don't, I'm, I'm tearing, I'm waiting to come back because I desire for all, man, woman, and child, all people to come to repentance. It says it in, in Habakkuk. It says that, that, that I desire for my glory to cover the earth as the water covers the sea. Getting on mission with his mission, getting on board with him. This is a call of true worship. It's saying that I want to obey you. I, I want to revere you. I want to be on mission with you. I want, to, I want to live my life for you and your purposes alone. Authentic worship comes from a place of recognizing that I am his and he is mine. And now I want to serve him because of what he has done for me. See, at this point in the text, what happens is Jesus, I said this a minute ago, he has sealed his rejection by the religious leaders. He has overturned the system. He has, he has, he has kind of boldly rejected what was happening. But he also captured the people's hearts because they said, man, this guy, Jesus, he is for real, and something's going to go down. Something's about to happen that's big, because he just ticked everybody off that's in power. And just so you know, something big is about to happen, and it's coming Friday. And they think they're going to kill him, but he's going to give himself for you and me. Next thing that we see in the text 12 through 14, and then 20 through 25, we see that Jesus will judge the faithless. Jesus will judge the faithless. So Jesus was hungry that Monday. He wanted to eat a fig. This is at 12 through 14. He was hungry. He wanted to eat, and so he saw the fig tree. There was no fruit, so he cursed it. Now, there were three times of the year where a fig tree would produce figs, and we don't know a lot about fig trees around here, or at least I don't. Um, so I did a little research here on fig trees. They do, and they actually do produce some fruit in the spring. And so Jesus was going, um, but it wasn't like the high time for trees to produce. And so he goes, and he, there's no fruit on it. Now, also, just the, the, the tree, the, the fig tree, is a picture of Jerusalem. It was like a symbol of Jerusalem. And it was a symbol of the people of God. And in this, there's a lot of symbolism that's going to happen within this. And so as they were entering into the town Tuesday, Peter recognized the tree was withered. So what Jesus has said, it happens. Just so you know, when Jesus says something's going to happen, it will happen. When something's prophesied in the scripture, God doesn't lie. He always tells the truth and it is always fulfilled. Jesus told the tree that cursed the tree, the tree died. And Peter recognizes this. And so in this, this tree dies, and then Jesus then begins to teach on the critical nature of faith. Now, in this, what's happening is that there's a picture of fruit bearing. And the picture of fruit bearing is this, and it's really from, in the New Testament, we see it in Galatians 5. It says, the fruit of the flesh is this, anger, wrath, malice, sensuality, lust, and it goes on and on, about the sins, rivalry, dissensions, envy. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and so on. And what was happening in the people of Israel is what was the fruit that they were bearing? Anger, pride, fruits of the flesh. 
And when Jesus goes to free and he sees it not bearing fruit, it's this picture that these people are going to come under judgment because they are acting as though they have something that they do not. They are, in a sense, a false convert. They are playing a part, but they are not bearing in the fruit to resemble that which they claim. So in this, the tree, again, was a picture of Jerusalem. Jesus then begins to teach on faith. I want to read 22 down to 25. It says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. See, these teachings, they, they fit together in, in, in that he is looking for one thing. And what Jesus is looking for in each of us in this room and what he was looking for when he walked into Jerusalem was faith. He was looking for people that genuinely believed and trusted in him and was evident by their lives. So these teachings, they, they fit together. What he was looking for was, was faith, genuine, confident, living, breathing, moment by moment faith and belief. And as he walks in, there's no faith, but there's corruption, there's greed, and there's envy, there's rivalry, there's self-profiting and exploitation. See, in this, there's, we sing the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Nine. And what he's not saying here is blessed hopefulness in what I have done. This is what was happening. There was this hopefulness of, but if I do this and I do that and I do this, then God must accept me. If I go to the temple court, if I buy a pigeon, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this. See, we are not saved by what we do. We are saved by faith. Faith believing in the one who has saved us. And so what this looks like for us in this room, it looks like, saying, I hope I've done enough good at the end of my life that God will accept me and invite me into his kingdom. What it looks like in real terms is I go to church every Sunday, I do Bible studies, I do this, I do that, and I do all these things. And if I do all these things, then maybe, maybe that will get me in. See, there's nothing we can do to save us. We are saved by faith. I have four little girls. I have a family. There's no one in my family that will be saved because of the pedigree of their father. I'm a pastor, right? All pastors' kids believe in Jesus, right? Oh, wait, that's like a terrible example. Uh, like There's like notorious stories about that. My daughters, two of them have and two of them need they, they cannot be saved because they came to church every week. They cannot be saved because we did devotions at night. They only can be saved if they come to a place in their life where they realize that they by nature are sinners and they have sinned against a holy God. And only by repenting of their sins and turning in faith to him can they be saved. So if you've ever said, I've, I've known Jesus all my life. No, you haven't. Not true for anybody. You got to bend your knee. You got to repent. You got to turn in faith. You got to believe. Now, here's the thing. 
my daughters have heard stories about Jesus their whole life. They have. They've heard truth their whole life. And so in a way, they have known about Jesus their whole life. But they must, they must turn in faith, repent of their sins, be saved. That's the same for every person in this room. We are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, by God alone. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. See, Jesus will judge the faithless. Faith in Christ for salvation and in faith in Christ according to his will. See, here's what this people do with this text. So there's, this is one of these texts that gets twisted all the time. So it, it's, it, this text gets twisted like this. Um, man, I saw this big house, really like it, and I'm just going to claim it, right? God, give me the big house. Come on, man, I, w- I want the big house. I claim it in the name of Jesus. Give me a house. I saw somebody drove a really nice car, and I claimed it this morning. I'm going to get it. I'm, I know I'm getting it this afternoon. It's going to be mine. <laughs> I want it. And we do this all the time. We, we, I claim it in the name of Jesus. Just so you know, you cannot interpret that text in the way in which the, the scribes and the Pharisees were heretics and condemned in this text. Because that is selfishness, that is self-gain, and that's possibly exploitation of others. We pray in faith in the core to God's will. Now, let me tell you a great way to have your prayers answered. Pray in accordance to God's will. Pray that Stark County will, will, will be exposed. Every man, woman, and child in Stark County will be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he'll use this church to do that. Maybe you want to see the heavens come down? Wait till 800 people begin to pray that God will have a great movement in our region. God is all about that. But God ain't about you having your neighbor's house and he's not about you having your neighbor's car and he doesn't give a rip about that. And I speak with that on the authority of God's word, and I think I can even say he doesn't give a rip about it. Because it's about you, and just so we're clear, and I know this is America, like we're in 2017, it ain't about you, and it isn't about me, it's about him. And people can like, twist that all you want, but you, you translate, you, you, you kind of get in the context of this text, don't, don't translate that, that now it's about you and getting what you want. This is all about him and praying in faith in accordance to his will and his purposes. And when we do, the heavens will move, the mountains will move, and great things will be done. Again, blessed assurance, Jesus is nigh, not blessed hopefulness in what I have done. It's not looking to Jesus to be the personal shopper for the props of my life movie. This isn't how he operates. This isn't how he works. This is about blessed assurance that Jesus is mine and I am his, that I can have relationship with him through faith because what he has done on my behalf. John 3, 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to this world so he could say, you're bad, condemned, you're bad, condemned, you're bad, condemned. Jesus stepped down and walked into this world. He says, I want to save you. I don't want to condemn you. I came to provide you a way to God. And if you will repent, and turn, you can have a way to him if you'll turn in faith. Jesus stepped down. He, didn't, he doesn't want condemnation for anyone in this room. But if you do not turn in faith, you will be judged and you will spend eternity separated from him. Acts 4, 11 and 12 says, 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Only through faith in Jesus are we saved. And so today, do you believe that Jesus is a true king? Do you live your life in authentic worship to him? And have you placed your faith in Jesus alone? Because see, he is the true king. He desires true worship, and he, he desires true fruit. So today, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to open up the altars, and we're going to sing a song called Shout Hosanna. These altars are open for you to come and pray. Maybe God's revealed some things to you you need to lay down. Maybe there's someone else that you need to come and pray for up here. Or maybe, maybe you've never turned to faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you. And today, I'll be right here. Maybe you just come to the altar on your own. Maybe right where you are. Today, if you've never turned to Jesus, would you say, Jesus, I recognize that I have sinned against you. Forgive me. I place my faith in you for salvation. Whatever God's leading you to do today, after I pray, we'll sing and we'll worship. Father, we love you. We thank you for this great day that you've given us to come, to worship, to hear your word. Jesus, we believe that you are the true king. That you came to fulfill that which had been prophesied over and over and over again, Jesus, you were the fulfillment, the fulfillment, the fulfillment, that you are the Messiah. You are the reigning one. You did not stay dead. You are risen and alive. And Jesus, we believe that your word is clear that only by faith are we saved. So help us who have given our lives to you, Lord, to worship you as the true king. Help us to never get over the gospel of what you've done for us. Help us to have authentic worship for you, to be on the same page as you, to live our lives in accordance to your will and your purposes. Help us to be, to be people. Bear fruit that have faith. Lord, for those in the room that, Lord, maybe have never believed, Lord, I pray right now that you'd, you'd save them. You'd help them to repent and turn. Lord, I pray you'd forgive them of their sins and help them to turn in faith to you. For all of us in this room, Lord, help us to live our lives in accordance to your word and your truth. Father, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, and as we stand, as we sing, these altars are open, I'm here. Might we respond and not leave too quickly? <laughs>